later on in our service, we're going to be saying the creed together. And in the creed, it states very clearly what we believe. And central to everything we believe in as Christians is one person. And there's a clue in our name, Christians. We follow Christ, plain and simple. But who is Jesus? What's he like? What can we learn from him? How well do you know him? Well, from now till Easter time, we're going to be spending our time in church looking at Jesus, looking at what he said and did from Matthew's Gospel. And if you didn't get a chance to pick up a program on the sermon series last week, then do do so on your way out. The passage we're going to look at today is from Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. That's page 968 in the church Bibles, if you like to follow it. Well, this week we have an amazing passage, as we've just heard. In the first half, we see the record of four ordinary men being called to follow Jesus. Then in the second half, we see a concise summary of what Jesus' mission was straight after that. And we're going to be looking at that passage in these two halves. So first of all, the calling of the disciples. Now Jesus is walking along the, sea, the, along the edge of the Sea of the Galilee in the north part of Israel, a long way from the capital, Jerusalem. And he sees two fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother, Andrew. Now what do we know about them? Well, they lived in Capernaum, a thriving small town at the north end of this large lake. This was a major trade route running north and south. They would have most likely have owned their own boat and would have had a good trade from the fish that they caught. But it was hard work, I'm sure. Think of them as small businessmen today. In addition, we also know that Peter was married. With this in mind, let's turn to what Jesus said. Look at how amazingly charismatic Jesus must have been. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, at once they left their nets and followed him. They literally dropped everything and followed him. Going with him and staying with him for the next three years until Jesus was cruelly crucified by the Romans. <clears throat> then the same thing happens just a few meters along the shore uh, when Jesus sees two other brothers, John and James, two more fishermen. There again, notice this immediacy. Immediately they followed him. These four men were the core of a group of 12 who would be Jesus' disciples. Now, a couple of things here. Why fishermen? And what's all this about disciples? Well, first of all, three out of the four gospel writers, including Matthew, called this landlocked body of water a sea. It was big and also could have had colossal storms coming up with no warning whatsoever. Fishermen needed to be brave and decisive but patient also at quiet times and flexible. They were good at their jobs, but they were no rocket scientists. They were ordinary working folk from the less fashionable part of Israel. Now, disciples. Disciples is a word we don't use much anymore, except maybe in Christian context. However, at that time, 
Many rabbis who were the Jewish leaders and teachers would have had disciples. The difference was that a rabbi's disciple would have chosen the rabbi he followed. A bit like we're often guided on TV, you know, other rabbis are available. (laughs) However, here Jesus chooses them, and in such a convincing way. So let's look at the calling again, more closely, at verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. There are two parts to the words Jesus uses. Firstly, come follow me. And then, and I will make you fishers of men. The first part is general. Follow me. Be my disciple. This applies to anyone Jesus' calls. These same words are used by Jesus to call Matthew, the author, uh, who was a tax collector, as recorded both in Mark and Luke's gospel. Then secondly, Jesus goes on to say, and I will make you fishers of men. This is much more specific to Simon and Andrew. Jesus had a purpose in mind for them. Jesus would build his church on them. Simon would even get a new name, Cephas, the rock, Petra in Greek. And so we now know him much more as Peter. And through Peter, much later, many people would come to be disciples too. Remember about the first time Peter preached after Jesus died, as recorded in Acts 2, that 3,000 people would give their lives to Jesus based on the words that the Holy Spirit gave Peter to say. He would indeed be a fisher of men. So what are we to learn from Jesus' words? Firstly, come follow me. Jesus says, follow me to all who hear the gospel. And those that follow Christ are his disciples. So if you follow him and call yourself a Christian, then you are a disciple. The words Christian and disciple are synonymous. So our primary call is to respond, all of us, to this call of Jesus to follow him. This is a call to discipleship, to grow and know Jesus more, and to participate in his invitation to be involved in the work of his gospel. But what is this work of his gospel? Well, we'll see that more in the second half of this sermon. Right now, these words, follow me, is an invitation to join that mission. Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, follow me, and then goes on to tell them his plan for them. For each of us, Jesus also has a plan. Jeremiah 29 says, for I know I have plan, for for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now when we read these words, it's easy to imagine these words plans that prosper, to mean worldly prospering, maybe to get a good job or marry a lovely person or have great children or grandchildren. But God has much more grand plans for us. He wants us to be truly prosperous, and this has nothing to do with worldly things. It means an intimate relationship with him that lasts forever. He chooses us, and we are his friends participating in his salvation plan for the world. And to this end, he has made us unique. 
He's given us unique gifts um, that he longs to use to help exercise the growth of his church. Together, in our different ways, all of us serve the same Lord Jesus. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, gives the analogy that we make up Christ's body here on earth, the church. And just like a body has different parts, we too all serve differently to help the body function. But how do we find out what our purpose is in this body? Well, several years ago, and I'm sure many of you remember, we looked at um, a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and we did a course in 40 days on that. And in there, on chapter 30, if you want to look it up later, um, there's a model on how to look at what God might be calling you to serve him. And that's called the SHAPE model for the letters, S-H-A-P-E, where S stands for um, spiritual gifts. So we should look at what spiritual gifts God might have given us. Second, H, our heart's desire looking at what excites us, the thing that really gets us passionate. And then thirdly, our abilities, A. And this is what we do and what we have as natural abilities that maybe we've been born with. Fourthly, if you're following me, uh, P, personality. So this may be how whether we're introvert or extrovert and how God has made us in terms of our, our character. And then lastly, our personality. Sorry, lastly, E, our experience. Um, And um, God uses our experience, both good and bad. And it's good to look back at what that experience is and how he could use it. So putting together those five letters, considering them with prayer, we can get a sense of that drive, that, that call to serve God in a particular way. So fundamentally, God has called us for a purpose, for a particular plan, and that's all of us. But also, he calls us to do something that we've been made to do, that is our enjoyment, and our heart is in that that particular place. So I would recommend this book. Um, If you haven't got one, there are actually three free copies uh, just on the free bookshelf, so no cost, they're just sitting on the top there. So do feel free to, to grab one on your way out if you'd like to do that. Secondly, the second section of, the, of, of our passage is all about Jesus' mission. So back to our passage, verses 23 and 25. This shows Jesus now with his four disciples going into the region of Galilee to do three things. Teaching, preaching the good news, and healing all types of diseases. So this summarizes the mission of Jesus prior to his crucifixion some three years later. He travels throughout the region doing these three activities. But what is this region? With our modern eyes, I don't know about you, but I really jumped on verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria. I think we can't read the word Syria without thinking what we know today about that What terrible things are happening in Syria? Well, actually, this wasn't the country we now know as Syria today, but rather the northern part of Lebanon, of Israel, and the two non-Jewish areas of southern Lebanon and the east side of Galilee, known as Jordan. But it does spark our imagination, doesn't it? 
Just imagine if news of Jesus did spread over today's Syria. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Wouldn't that be exactly what that troubled country needs? Anyway, I I digress. I just couldn't let that one go. Um, But this area definitely, though, included both Jew and Gentile. Jesus spent much of his ministry coming to give the good news to Jewish people. However, here and elsewhere, we do see Jesus bringing his good news to Gentiles too. So he taught, preached, and healed, teaching people about him and his loving father, preaching the good news that his coming into the world was represented, and then healing, healing those we are told who had various diseases. It's so hard for us to even imagine the vulnerability of everybody in those days to any kind of illness and the suffering that people must have had to endure. Most serious illnesses meant either quick death or long, drawn-out suffering. We can see from these verses that Jesus was compassionate to their need. People suffered from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. But with our complete Bible now, we know that this is not the way it will be. We have revelations, and we have Revelation 21, where we can see at the end of time, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. In this healing in Galilee, we see a foretaste of this time to come. We see Jesus heal. We follow a compassionate God who weeps at our suffering. So this is Jesus' mission. And in the very end of Matthew's Gospel, we see that we too are called to be part of his mission. Right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says to his followers, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So how are we as individual, individuals going to rise to these challenges of teaching, preaching, and healing? Well, first of all, teaching. There's a great deal of teaching that the trained staff of churches does, also, but also on top of that, I think we're all involved in teaching. And let me uh, just expand that a little bit. We're all teachers if we are parents or grandparents and we answer a child's question or if we come alongside a brother or sister to be with them, to offer the guidance and help, or if we're part of a home group, or if we're a manager or a mentor at work, or a co-worker, or a fellow student helping out another. Secondly, preaching. Some 2,000 years later, the gospel of Jesus is still the best news there is for us. And I thank God that he still calls and equips preachers to be able to tell this good news to each new generation. But in addition, we all have our roles to play too in preaching. Let me expand this one. In our contact with people each day, we need to be ready to be able to say why we come to church, why this place is important, why being with God's people is important, why listening to his word is important. Um, Peter, in his first letter, said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So we should be ready for that opportunity to talk gently about our own experience of God's love in our lives. Then what about hearing? Well, and you've guessed it, we're going to expand this one too. In our five congregations, we have so many people who are involved in looking after our health, and it is miraculous what can be done today to remove suffering or alleviate it. And I thank God for the skills and wisdom that he has bestowed on scientists, pharmacists, nurses, doctors, dentists, and many others. Well, the word disease actually comes from two words put together, dis and ease. It's not being at ease. And it's wise to remember this. Christ has a compassion for anyone suffering in whatever way. This may be physical, mental or spiritual, or a combination of them. And again, we have a role to play here. Removing people's dis-ease has all sorts of different applications. I'm sure you know when people are struggling to cope. Do we get carried along with contributing more to the pressure on people, or do we have an eye to care for them as whole people, people loved immensely by God? Well, I want to finish just by highlighting one more thing. Notice in the Bible reading today, there are actually three groups of people that are described as people that follow Jesus. There's Peter and Andrew, then there's John and James, then there's one other group right at the end of our reading. There's the crowd that followed him. But there's a key difference between the crowd and these four disciples. The four disciples would go on to follow Jesus to the very end of their lives, three of them ending up being executed for their following of him, the other, John, exiled. The crowd have a different story. We really don't know anything about what happened to them. Some maybe became followers of Jesus like the disciples. Others might have wandered off once the show was over. Others might have stayed while it looked exciting and positive. But when this seemed to be going bad, when Jesus ended up in Jerusalem, condemned to death, then maybe they just got too much for them and they slipped away. So how do we respond to this call to follow him? Are we like the crowd or like the disciples? Well, the next song we sing is going to, well, basically say it all. As Jesus asks us in the first verse, Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me?